The 20th episode of Rinky Dinking is now. And we start on a bit of a sad note, but at the same time, I think a celebratory note in the passing or with the passing of Ted Lindsay. And sad, obviously, that he's left this space, uh, but the celebration of his life and what a life it was. Uh, passed away at 93. And you're from up that neck of the nape. And, uh, I mean, for a guy that was 5'8", 160 pounds, and this will be written over and over, that he was truly an absolute giant within the sport of hockey and certainly within the NHL. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing that's interesting is, like, you go to Gordie Howe and Maurice Richard and say, those guys weren't scared of anybody. They would have, you know, just pummeled anybody, except for the owners. Gordie Howe bowed at the owners. He was afraid of the owners. Ted Lindsay was. Well, Gordie Howe's uh, contract was essentially the salary cap in the National Hockey yeah. League back in the day, prior to salary uh, declaration or, or uh, exposure uh, that brought was when did that come in? I was in Edmonton, I think when it when it came in. I remember how big a deal it was, and you know the the Marcel Dion's and Gordy Howe's and all those people, and nobody knew who what anybody was making. Right. And once that came in, <laughs> salaries exploded. But you're right. I mean, th- there's a an award, a major NHL award. I mean, major named after Ted Lindsay. Uh, they actually renamed the. Uh, Lester B. Pearson, and this is essentially the best hockey player of the year in the league as voted on by the NHLPA, so as voted on by the players themselves. They changed that in 2010 in honor of Ted Lindsay. But if you go back, there's so there's going to be so many great stories about how he stood up to the man. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he essentially started the Players Association. Yeah. And convince the players that they had power. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, if you if you flash forward to when uh, salaries became disclosed, it was Bob Goodnow and the and the Players Association heads. It was basically lawyers right. that talked them into, and it was tough, yeah. but talked the players into exposing their salaries for the good of everyone. And back then, with Ted Lindsay, it was just basically for... It was the same principle, I guess, in some ways, but it was an actual friggin' player in the league at the time that was doing this. Yes, and and getting everybody else on board. I mean, that was the thing. It's and I think any democracy, you have to have revolution and you have to convince people to go against the man, and it's not an easy thing to do. And for Ted Lindsay to to tell players because you, I don't want to say the owners were gonna, you know do anything nefarious or anything like that but they didn't want this of course so if, not if if you went to an owner and I think they said, wanted salary disclosure no. back in the and, but if you went to an owner and said you know i'm on board with ted Lindsay and everything he's doing he's going like okay well how would you like to be traded then mm-hmm. and that's what they did i yeah. mean it was like how would you like to be benched how would you like to be sent to the minors montreal had you know 60 nhl players in their organization hey how'd you like to uh, spend next season in the minors and they had that power. They used that power. And Ted Lindsay still fought against it. And yeah, that's he, what's impressive. He was in, just an incredible uh, man of high principle, period. And tough as nails. I mean, his yeah. nickname was Terrible Ted Lindsay at 5'8". <laughs> It's so funny because, you know, I didn't I didn't actually really watch him play that much. He was before my time. But then to go stand next to him in the press box. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I walked past him at, at the Joe. 
And, and it was pointed out that's Ted. I mean, you could tell yeah. he was a, a, a warrior and a player because his face is a mess, right? And I was just like stunned. He looked like a jockey. Yeah. Like he looked like a jockey. <laughs> it's like standing next to Peng. Yeah. <laughs> like a beat up Darren Peng. That's right. Uh, one, one of the great stories that I heard is when he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, he, he wouldn't go to it, his own ceremony. Right. Because they wouldn't allow spouses uh, and children in the ceremony. So he just said, I'm not. I mean, it was just one thing after. By the way, they changed that the following year. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, he was just a guy that, that stood up for what he thought was right over and over and over again. And I never saw him play either, obviously. But I suspect that's how he played every shift when yeah. he played in the league, too. Yeah, and it's also, I think, an interesting lesson to us and to our kids that you can make one guy can make that big of a difference in the world if you stand on your morals. And and obviously, you have to be, you have to have some power. You have to have acquired some power through your playing ability. And you have to be willing to have it, you know, shoved and tamped down and whatever the repercussions are. Right. But you can make that you know, difference. Big brass ones, basically. And that's that's like you said at the beginning of this. This is an honor of what his life meant, yeah. and it meant a lot yeah. to a lot of people. Uh, I was trying to think of who, uh, as a player, would personify, since he finished playing, what he meant and what he did and all that. And the, the one name that comes to mind kind of semi-ironically is Eric Lindros. Yeah. I mean, completely different in stature, 6'4", right. 230, uh, but, you know, right from the time he was in junior hockey and then on to when he was drafted and said, I'm not going to Quebec, and through his career in Philadelphia and on into uh, what he's done after hockey, right. standing up for concussion research and, and what have you, I, I mean, he's pretty close to uh, sort of the standard. I don't think anybody's going to come you know, <laughs> parallel with what Ted Lindsay has done or did in his lifetime. But I think Eric's done a lot, and I think he, he fits that mold a little bit. Yeah, and I think um, it's funny because, you know, yeah, he is a huge, massive human being, and yet he still has suffered a lot. And I think, you know, that to fight through that, to you know, like we talk about with Ted Lindsay, having to fight the blowback and everything like that, to fight through that, it would have been easy to give up and just go away or whatever. And, yeah. and, and the fact that I think he said, no, I want to do this my way, it's important. Boy, every player nowadays, they, I don't know whether they even understand. I hope they do a little bit of it, but they all owe Ted Lindsay a deep, deep yes. gratitude for some of the things that he did, beginning with just forming the NHL Players Association. So uh, anyway, rest in peace, Ted Lindsay. Uh, he was he was a giant in this sport. There's no question about it. What, did he coach as well? I don't know. That that's a good one. I don't. I, I think have he to go coached. Back, yeah. I know he did broadcasting. Yes, for a while. We got Tom Holy in here who's eagerly awaiting uh, Holy Puckaganda. Maybe he could hit Google and find out whether Ted Lindsay did in fact coach in the National Hockey League for us. Uh, speaking of coaching, though, uh, former Stars coaches. We're going to have another one come into the building this week yep. in uh, Lindy Ruff, who's an assistant with the New York Rangers. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not dumping on it. I'm just, I find it interesting. Every guy since Dave Tippett is still coaching in the National Hockey right. League in various uh, places and forms. Yes, he did coach. 79-80, Red Wings, 
Yeah, it is a bit of a tough record. We'll leave that alone. Yeah, we're not, we're not, <laughs> that's not the highlight of his. But career. he did. But he did coach in the league. Ted Lindsay did. Uh, so you you have the former Stars coaches that their teams are twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty ninth, and thirty first in the league right now. And I, I bring this up only because Mark Crawford just moved back into the head Correct. coaching ranks and won his first game since he won with the yeah. Stars in twenty eleven. And uh, you have. Glenn Gollitson and Ken Hitchcock in Edmonton. Yep. You have Lindy Ruff with the Rangers. You have Willie Desjardins with the LA Kings. And you have Crow now uh, heading up things in behind the bench. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a recycle league, but at the same time, it's a difficult – I think it's a difficult league to stay hip in. Don't you? Yeah. Well, and again, you know, when we look at some of the – the newer minds like uh, Jim Montgomery, uh, I think it's because of the fact that some of the other guys struggle to stay hip. And so, you know, the league is always going to be looking for something new and different. And and yet you need the other side of it, too. You know, well, like, the, like you look here with, with uh, Montgomery and, and then and Rick, Rick Bonus. Bonus. Yeah. And you look in New York and, and they went the same path. They yep. went with a college coach uh, in Quinn. And, and they have Lindy there who's yeah. got 800 plus wins in in this league. You have Hitch behind the bench that has all that experience, and then you have Glenn Gollitson, who was brought in prior to Hitch going yeah. there in, in Edmonton. And then you had Crow as an assistant in Ottawa to help out. Now he had experience. Right. Guy Boucher had, had plenty of experience. Younger. But just to have somebody like that, the depth of your bench. I, I think NHL coaching benches now are way deeper than they were. Oh, my gosh. How long ago? Not even a decade ago, no. maybe. Yeah, I mean the fact that the stars and there's four guys. Behind I was going to say four guys now. on the bench. Used to be two, right? I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, do you think? Do you think Tippett continues down the path of being a part of that thing in Seattle, or do you think the itch will get him to go in behind a bench again? You and I had that discussion. If it were me, uh, just knowing the life of an NHL coach, I would try and get into. They can't give it up. That's the thing. They struggle so I, I think much. It's, and that's one of the other reasons why, you know, so many of these guys are getting recycled because they're volunteering for the duty. Yeah. And Hitch is the best example. <laughs> You're just like, oh, I, I thought he retired. No, didn't he retire? Two, Twice. Three, four years ago. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just, it, they can't give it up. So if it were me, I would want to be a president. It would seem like a calmer life or whatever, you know, tip could be up in Seattle. But you're right that that fire burns. Um, I Army was in the the press box in uh, St. Louis. We were chatting. Army is Doug Armstrong. Doug for Armstrong. Those of you listening to the podcast right. who needs subtitles. Tom Holy can't contain himself over there. Uh, anyways, but one time he let me sit next to him. I think it was up in Edmonton or Calgary, one of those press boxes where you're just, you know, leaning. How's that a glorious thing? I've let you sit beside me on the bus <laughs> and what have you. It was it was supposed to be a learning experience. And what I learned was that man is very emotional during a game <laughs> and has no place to put that emotion because he's not coaching. He's not playing. He's just up there. It's bottled frustration. Yes. And so that part of it I can understand where if you really like if that's hard for you to have all that emotion and no place to put it or nothing to do with it, then being a coach would be a better thing. At least you get to control what's going on in the ice a little bit, uh, as opposed to the GM who just sits there and stews. I think as a coach, it's very similar to my playing career, where some individuals 
retire. They announce their retirements. And there are other individuals who just stop playing. <laughs> and in coaching, uh, for the most part, I think they need to be told you're done coaching right. because if nobody tells them that, they will just continue yeah. on and think of themselves as as coaches until somebody says, you know what, I think we've had enough of <laughs> you. And it happens, you yeah. know. You, and some of them, even when that happens, they end up in the KHL or right. in Europe somewhere. They, I think, when you're a coach, you just you coach. Yep. And the expansion of NHL coaching staffs has prolonged some of these careers, maybe beyond what they have been in past. Yep. But I'm I'm glad. I mean, they're all good people. They're almost like firemen, you know. The, <laughs> they put out fires, yep. and they they love that that camaraderie and team aspect of that. And then when a blaze breaks out and they grab the hoses and away they go. Yeah. And that that's what they do throughout an 82 game schedule is just try to put out fires just, all year, especially the former stars coaches. This year. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> God bless them, man. That is, that is some tough road hoeing going on with them right now. Uh, let's take, let's take a, a moment here, collect ourselves after coach talk. And move on to player talk mm. and the possibilities in the future of one Rope Hints. All right. The Stars youngsters have been pretty good here lately. And added a little, little, mm, huh? Yep. A little something, something. Something, something. Overtime game winner for Rope Hints in Los Angeles. The City of Angels, Staples Center. A monument to uh, broadcast wonderment. By the way, a little sidebar uh, prior to this Hints talk. What is the What is the number for overkill on statues outside of a... Uh, a sporting venue. When you have a, a person sitting at a desk at a statue. Well, <laughs> well, no, hold it. Chick, Chick Hearns deserves something. There are 11 statues outside of Staples Center. 11 of them. Our statues go to 11, they say in L.A. <laughs> like I, I, I was walking across the street to go to the game. I just, It's like a forest of bronze statues. Outside there. Like, who didn't get a friggin' statue <laughs> that played for the Lakers or the Clippers or the Kings through the years? Is there not a Rogie Vashon statue outside there? There should be. I think there should be. That'll be the next one. We'll get we'll an even dozen. We'll commission it. I think 11 might be a little bit of an overkill on the old statue scene. But that's just me. Um... Anyway, back to Rope. I don't know if a statue will be erected of Rope outside American Airlines Center when it's all done. It's a fun name to say. Uh, he's a blast to watch play because he skates like the wind. He's an ice gazelle. He really is. Pretty big kid, too, for that. Now, yes, he is. He took figure skating as a youngster oh. for a year or two years. and Because he said when he was really young, it, it uh, his skating was not – what it is now, but yeah. that's for sure. I think a lot of, whether it's power skating or figure skating, a lot of young guys uh, have done that, and it's obviously helped him. 
you you ponder whether he is destined to be the star's second line center. How well, so? Well, here's my issue, and it may, it may just be me, but when was the last time they drafted and developed a top six forward, so to speak? I know they've always been uh, acquired. Yeah, especially the that position. And and, and you they, know you go back, go all the way back to when they traded Jerome McGinley, yep. who just had his number retired Saturday in Calgary. And Joe Newendike came to town to be that, you know, mojo, if right. you will, Madonna and, and Joe Newendike. Bang, bang is a one-two. Uh, and then you move through to the next generation, and Brad Richards had to be acquired to come in. And do, you're right. But there's also, I mean, there were, the, there were the Brendan Morrows, and there were the Yuri Lettinens, and there were the Jamie Langenbrunners. I mean, we, there used to be top six forwards that came through and got some amount of trust. And, like... If you talk to any Stars fan, I think they're like, well, we got to go get a number two center. And you're like, what about Rope Hintz? Could you develop him into your number two center? And Keyword he, being developed, probably. And again, that's a big thing. Like Even when you look at his numbers right now, he, he, he looks good, but he's not producing a ton of points. Yeah. And so then that scares you off. Well, my, my belief on that position, at least in history, maybe it's morphed a little bit going forward, is that – your second line center is going to get most of his candy on power plays. Right, it's been that way all the way throughout. And then at even strength, that position is usually a bit of a liability defensively. Let's say you know the way it used to be is your right. your best your prime players were on your number one line. Second line were guys that were really good offensively. They're going to be on your power play unit. There's some question marks defensively there then you went to your third line and it was a balance tipping checking line back when you could just match lines right. and you see that sometimes now with Radic Foxa Como and these guys and then your fourth line has been anything and everything through the years it's right. been crash lines and it's changed to basically just young players that can really fly and and forecheck so I think if you're if you're re decent on face-offs which Rope is which surprisingly right so, for young usually young guys just get pummeled on on faceoffs in the early going pace i think you have to be a good skater it's got to be a, a a line that plays with alacrity your power play production just power production in general it can't just be a kind of flat right uh unit and then the other part of it is if you look through the history of of that position it, they're usually minus yes because they do get most of their points on special teams, yep, and they are let's say equal opportunity at best, five on five, yeah, and so he he fits a lot of the criteria, and I just think, I just think because of cost, we look at it on defense and we say, oh, well, we got Miro, or we got John Klingberg, and we got we developed these guys, and so now our defense, we could go out and get a seven million dollar player, or whatever, and then you'd still look at that group at, uh, in a cost margin. Uh, sense and say, well, well, you know, this all fits. Well, at some point in time, I think your top six needs, uh, you know, a guy making 800, 900, a million five or whatever it is uh, to help balance things out. And if you can get that guy and you can give him the opportunity, I just think I, I would love to see a young guy come through and become that guy like Jamie Langenbrenner did or, you know, Brendan Morrow did or Yuri Lettinen did yeah. or, you know. It was hard to, you think back to when Jamie. Langenbrenner came through like he was the only rookie and it was a deep stack veteran yeah. team and 
You know, he, he ascended instead of being just tamped down. You're a fourth liner. You're a third liner. And Which they could have easily yep. done. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. I like it, though. I like him a lot. I do, too. I really do. Like I said, and they, I think he's the type of player that could handle the pressure, responsibility. And, like, you know, like so you could actually even change it. I mean, is he a Jordan Stahl type of guy who could score 20 goals and still be good defensively? Yeah, they're different types of players. Uh, Jordan has no problem stopping on the puck. Ropes plays roller hockey a yeah. lot. He's improved vastly in staying in the fight and stopping on things. And, and you know, as much as it, he's a beautiful skater, sometimes the best thing you can do is roll low right. and slow and help out that way. And I think he's been much better in that regard. I remember when I went down and watched the playoff games in the American Hockey League last year, he was the one young guy I just went, that looks like an NHLer. Right. Yeah. All right. You know what's up next? No. A live version of Holy Puckaganda. All right, our rinky-dinking nightmare is over. Tom Holy is here in person for Holy Puckaganda this week, where we dig up some propaganda to spew on the podcast. It's been weeks, if not months, since Tom's been here. Is that correct? You guys keep sending me to different locations around the world. I can't find you. You're busy, busy I boy. I cannot find now, you. you were, your last one in Vegas, I walked around like three casinos. I yeah. walked the Strip. You guys were non-existent. No, we were on a <laughs> we were on a noisy patio for that one. You you had something <laughs> you wanted to bring up though. Yeah, well, there's two things. But number one, three days ago, I sat with Mike Heika, and was told by Mike Heika, I do not use people's nicknames. I bragged about it when Ken Hitchcock was here. Everyone calls him Hitch. I call him Ken. And he was very adamant about that. He broke his rule with Doug Armstrong. That's why you were fidgeting around like a preschooler without his Ritalin over there. Yeah. Heike took a vow to never use a nickname, and he broke it live on a podcast. You're right, Holes. I, I got I to apologize Nicknames for that. in general or something else, aren't they? We I've had to lower the boom on our broadcast people from time to time because it gets so comfortable. We're around everybody all the time, but it, it is something that you shouldn't do. But when you're in person with a guy and you have a relationship with him and you're sitting in a you could use a nickname and Mike has earned that. I think the only Mike's time I've ever that. referred to Hitch as Ken has been in that tone. Ken. <laughs> Your fatherly tone. Yes. I, think, I think the army, it's a watershed moment. He might be going in there calling Jamie Ben Chubbs now. Yep. He might be calling Who Doug? Seggs. No, yeah, me. Hikes. You. No, I'm gonna yeah. call I'm gonna call Jamie Ben Chubbs today. I yeah, <laughs> I really. He's gonna call he, Mark he, Stepnasty. Stepnasty. Here's my here's his, my background right? on on nicknames or nomenclatures. The uh, back when I was just starting out with Hartford, Jim Rutherford was our GM and, Ruffy. and uh, president. So I'm dropping names. Uh, he he took us to lunch, John Forslund and myself. Yeah. And we were both just fresh faced. We looked like you, Totsi. We were just so unaware and ready to go handsome too and we weren't wearing birch colored pants but that's fine he takes us to lunch and he talked to us about nicknames at lunch 
And I stuck up for myself and said, there are some nicknames that I just have to use, right. especially with goaltenders, because you have to say their name 40 times a game, and you can't just keep saying, you know, whatever whatever the guy's name. So Curtis Joseph. Right. It's universally understood that his nickname is Cujo. He's got it on his mask. Every now and then, you're going to slide a Cujo in there. Or Dominic Hasek, the dominator. You're going to slide a dominator just to mix it up in there. And he, I think, sort of saw my way of thinking. But what he didn't want to hear was, uh, if it was Sean Burke, that he's Berkey. And I'm, I was fully on board with that. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think it sounds really rah-rah, sis-boom-ba, rose-colored glasses, uh, and uh, it, it feels amateurish. Well, Heike did believe that up until about nine minutes ago, and now he's changed his life. Feels better now, Holes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, part two of the things that I noted while you guys were going on, the L.A., you said the L.A. had the most statues there with 11? Yeah. Well, right across from our hotel in St. Louis, Bush Stadium has 11 statues outside of it as well. They do? They do. Are they spread out at least? No, they're all they're all right in one in, area. Yeah, right on the corner, right on Eighth and Spruce or something. Eighth and really, yeah, yeah. They, right next. They to do the have a hundred year history at least. I mean, baseball teams are a little bit different. That is true. Uh, yeah, I, I guess if you went to the Yankees, I mean, how many plaques yeah. are there out there? Now, I think eight of them all are Hall of Famers. Well, that's a little different. One well, is a broadcaster, and two are Negro League guys. For the most part, the LA I bet guys you are. every statue in L.A. is a Hall of Famer. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Well, we we sat courtside adjacent at the uh, Lakers game while we were there in L.A., and we saw walking statues as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic Johnson were passing by us. Yeah. I'm surprised they haven't erected a LeBron statue in <laughs> L.A. yet. Kobe's next? It should be. So what would you uh, wear for that uh, that encounter there, <laughs> Totes? You, oh you, you had God. on full Fashion Lakers police. uniform, right? I was wearing a LeBron jersey. Yes. Like you and- wore a jersey to a professional sporting event. <laughs> Not only did he wear a jersey to it, he had a member of the L.A. Lakers come up to him and say hello. At halftime. Not even post-game. At halftime. It was awesome. Your face is no longer birch-colored right now. <laughs> we could share the video. We have video proof, and we could share it for all those rinky you know dinkers out there. Off night. Good times. Do you have Holy Puck again, or are you just going to go on and on? This is not the Tom Holy show. To- totes knows Lakers. That's all. <laughs> okay. We can move on. Uh, one of the interesting things I wanted to point out for this week's uh, homestand here, we start with the New York Rangers on this homestand, and you kind of brought it up, Razor, with – Carolina and how chippy and feisty some of the games were and how these East yeah. West games wind up being yeah some, they come out of nowhere. Well, 11 of the last 13 games against the Rangers for the Stars have been decided by one goal. One of them was a 2 to nothing win, which had an empty netter, so that's basically a one-goal game. It's been a really, really tight series, which is interesting. And this all started with a game that was a 3-2 to two Rangers win with the game winner scored in the shootout by Matt Zuccarello. Ah. Wow. Way to bring it home. Yeah. And then you look to the next game, which is Colorado, a division foe, and we're 7-6-0 and in our last 13 against them. But out of those 13 games, nine have been decided. Am by I supposed to be goals. impressed by 7, 6, and 0? Oh? No. It's okay. Just been, nope. nope. You're saying it's so close. There are nine. Wins out, and nine, losses. Right. Nine out of the 13 games have been two plus goals, decided by two plus goals. You know, at this statistical interlude, 
Uh, Matt Zuccarello, 50% on the shootout. Tyler Sagan, 50% on the shootout. Well, who cares about that? We you, never have You a read shootout. the press release I wrote for the trade, obviously, <laughs> because it was in there, Mike. <laughs> Way to go, Mike. Well, then, you know what? I'm bringing it around to you. People do read your constructive propaganda that you pump out through media releases. Which is tied for second amongst people with uh, 50%. But really a moot point, right? Yeah. Because they never have the a shootout. The Stars have not been in a shootout since March of last year. Was it the 10th? 76 games. It was the 14th. No. Was it? I think it was March 14th. I thought it was earlier than that. In Toronto, they lost 6-5. It was that crazy second game. And they played in Montreal the night before. They have not been in a shootout since. I, I think one of the things that, that people have underreported a little bit is the fact that it could be a benefit to the Stars at the end of this thing come tiebreak Because of their ROW. Yes. Interesting. Regulation and overtime wins, which the general managers, and we'll talk about this next week, I guess are pondering changing it to just uh, RWs ah. as a tiebreaker. So regulation Can wins win. will mean more than anything that goes on I think in that, overtime. I think that's a good idea. Oh, my God. Do you think? Now well, the Stars three, two, are, one, stars are best one of six teams who all of their wins are ROWs. Three of them, including the Stars, haven't been to a shootout. Columbus, Calgary, and San Jose all have been in a shootout but haven't won in one. Ah, that is extra propaganda this morning. But it's good as we do this. I got so much propaganda loaded up. What yeah, do you we need? appreciate you. <laughs> we really do. But we got to move on, Tom. Can I stay? No, uh, you can stay, but we have to move on. I wasn't, think I'll go now. Because you know why? Birch Boy, Millennial Musings, is up next. Totally, totes my goats. Cool. All right, Totes Magoats, who has turned into a bit of a podcast celebrity along with Tom Holy. Like, people have noticed your injections of millennial thoughts and, and just suggestions, along with Tom Holy, who's been recognized for his ability to bring the statistical information to the podcast. So we appreciate both of you who are now... We're going to have to set up autograph sessions or something for your selfie sessions, I guess, is what they would be. Statues, maybe? So, statues. <laughs> statues. So, you <laughs> you wanted to talk about villains this week. Yeah, and let me chime in on the Staples Center point earlier. One thing I learned on that L.A. trip, you lose a lot of credibility when you wear a basketball jersey. I didn't yeah. realize that. Post-college, yeah, when you wear a basketball jersey, you really lose a lot when you go full guns out too i think that <laughs> i had no idea did you have something on underneath nothing the... underneath jacket over it so so you you wore it as if like you might you might check in. i thought about buying lakers shorts wearing basketball shoes and going full maybe rip, arm sleeve. rip off the sweats <laughs> yeah why not and okay. now at small forward don't ever do that again okay in my presence it's you can do lesson, it on your own lesson learned okay uh, villains, anyway, lot, yeah. lots in the NBA. They they <laughs> embrace that. They embrace it. But we had some villainy in the NHL this week uh, with Tavares going back to the island. And then with the great Marchand statistic, Marchand statistic of his 665th. It changes every year. You're good. Yeah, yeah whichever um, of his 666th. That was the game. greatest nugget I've ever seen. Do you want to give it to us again in case? So he he was playing his 666th game. He had amassed 666 penalty minutes. And that night, the Bruins were playing 
the New Jersey Devils. Incredible. It does not align better for the little window licker that he is. And and I mean that by visors. Oh, yeah. He, uh, I mean, he's public enemy number one everywhere outside of the hub city. I think I think it's you need more of those. We, we need we need them. Is obviously. that your point? Yeah, and him and Tavares are either end of the spectrum in terms of villains. Well, the Tavares there's, there's thing a, was inviting it just because he likes pajamas. They hate him. <laughs> That's it exactly. But did you like the way the Islanders fans? I it, look. They can do they can do whatever they want. Right. I, I think as a player, as a former player, I loved going into environments where they despise you. And then shutting them up. That's the greatest. I think it's the greatest thing in sports. So it's nice to be loved by your own home fans. Like that. That's wonderful to be just showered with praise. But when you can go into the belly of the beast and you hear it and they're into you. And, you know, I would get Daryl chanted like I was strawberry everywhere <laughs> I played. Daryl. It was like music. Because then after a while, we're up by three and then yeah. it fade. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. So do you want a guy like that, like a Marchand, on your team? To oh, invite yes. that and inject some juice? Well, think of some of the ones we had. Steve Ott for almost a decade. Every single place we went, he, he was, his name was brought up. Yeah. For us in broadcast, it gives us some flavor. It, right. It's spice. It's right. a spice pouch that gets sprinkled onto the game every single night. And we don't have enough of that in our game now. It's, it's just less it's been it homogenized for the most part. And I think it can still be effective. I think what Ryan Reeves did to the Stars was yeah. very effective. Oh, he bullied. Yeah, he bu- he literally bullied them, and yeah. they didn't push back hard. Well, I, I don't know if I agree with that. They tried yeah. to push back. Who's going to fight him? Right. What are you going to do? You know, drop the gloves and get the snot beat out of you in yeah. front of their fans so they can go even more nuts? Yeah. I mean, Jason Dickinson didn't just skate away and cower. Like no. he he was there, but he was like, "I'm not going to fight you." Right after he takes cross checks in the back, you know, you back in the day, it's a different game now. He skates across the ice and knocks Cogliano out of the lineup. There would have been some repercussions. Well, it's funny, and I heard that you know Jamie Ben might have, if it wasn't to Reeves directly, it might have been to one of his teammates that uh, he may have gotten a, a pretty strong hit after uh, that situation if Jamie had been in the lineup. That was suggested in the press box. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I mean, it's just – I think it's a different – it's a different approach to the game now, though. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you go back to the game in Tampa Bay. Miro Haskinen's 19. He gets clocked by Adam Ernie. Not Ryan Reeves. No. Adam Ernie. And it took until the Stars were – and at that point, I think they were down 4 nothing. It took until they were down 6-zip. Before Jamie, of all people, had to grab a hold of him and send a message back that way. But I, I just, there's not enough. I, I didn't like the super pest when they came in, Yeah, you know, and ran around. Right. Because what happened was it, it transferred from being a game where you can play a certain style and you can be a bad boy, but you're probably going to have to answer for it from time to time. And the best ones did. Right. And then it became these guys that never answered. You know, they were smaller. They were always out of the weight class, but they would run around and run guys from behind and run your best player. And then you couldn't do anything about it because they wouldn't fight your tough guy back when right. every team had a, a policeman, an enforcer. And that that seemed like hooey and balderdash to me. And now it's just – it's all but faded out of the game. I mean, you look at the fighting majors. Well, for instance, Ryan Reeves, arguably – 
toughest guy in in our game now. You know, he's yeah. he certainly in the conversation of who are the toughest three players in in hockey. He's in there. The Vegas Golden Knights have four fights this season. Wow. The fewest in the National Hockey League. Yeah. Now, part of it is nobody really wants to fight him. And in that, it's like a deterrent for the rest of that group. And then they I don't think they run around and act like clowns. Right. But they know that if anybody's going to try to intimidate from the other side, we've got the biggest uh, bully on the block that can take care of that. Yeah. And I like emotion. I think we need more emotion. Well, you need you every every game needs a little bit of the black hat involved in it. Yeah. I think. Well, you know, agreed. Every, if you went through the the league, I mean, how many guys are like that anymore? Like Washington has one, no question about yeah. that. Tom Wilson, you know, they talk about him everywhere he goes. Right. He's a very effective player because, I mean, for God's sakes, he plays on their top line. And he plays like that, yeah. and he gets people off their game, and people hate him, and people mouth off. I, I just, I wish there was a little bit more of that. But what's happened is, a lot of GMs have looked at at that type of role and said, "Well, we're probably better served having a guy who can skate and play." And I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. I think the game needs a little bit of character. I, I will say this: that I do like the thirty year ago villain who was the one of the best players, Bob Probert. Uh, you know, even Marchment. He was a good player. And so, yeah, the fact that he broke Joe Neuendijk makes him a villain, but he was also a pretty good oh defenseman. God. Like, do you remember those days? Like, there were police escorts to get Marchment <laughs> and Ed Belfort yeah. to playoff games. Like, just to get them to the games. And uh, they were hated. You, you never really hear anybody chant names. That's why the Tavares thing stuck out so yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. What I mean, and they are just salivating for something in – you know, nostalgia. They've had to play games in Brooklyn, and right. they—it doesn't feel like it's their soul. So they got back there, and it was a chance to all rally around poor John Tavares, <laughs> as innocent and yeah. vanilla an <laughs> NHL superstar as you're going to find, and they let him have it. We don't need you. Uh, 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 uh. It's awesome, and Love it would have just vibrated in that small building, Nassau Coliseum. It, it, it must have been something else. Yeah. It really must have. So would you want a guy like Marshand on your team? Oh, you always Is want that, those guys. Okay. And he's such a talented player. Right. And from, you know, I, I so can't imagine. The- I, I, would, I would love to hear the conversations that have gone on with Chara and yeah. Patrice Bergeron, who are some of the most, are two of the most respected players of the last two decades yeah. in this yeah. league. But they have to live with that. It's not that much different than you know, trying to make excuses through the years for Steve Ott. And, you know, from time to time, those guys are going to cross a line and other guys are going to be like, Jesus. Now, nothing was worse than the Sean Avery days around here where from our captain to our icon and and Madonna, they were just – I remember that game in Boston – what did Madonna say after that matinee game? If this is if this hey, is I need what an we're off be ice about, job. <laughs> yeah, I need a job off the ice. So well, and it I can like, go overboard. I like Brendan's comment, which is he's a member of my team, and until he's not a member of my team, I'm going to support him because that's also taught in the NHL. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, I imagine. Birch- I don't think they do that in the NBA, though. No, do they? no, no it's <laughs> like if you don't same. like the guy on your team, you just announce on social media that it out. I really don't like him. Yeah. Sub-tune. Well, it was like Witten coming back. Yeah. And and Steve Smith just basically yeah. spouting off. I mean, 
Did anybody even really ask him no. that? No. And he made his thoughts known. He said what everyone was thinking. I'm actually good on TV. <laughs> so I'm going to stay. Awesome. What about... Uh, so when you look at villains from sport to sport before we wrap this thing up for another week, uh, you, you look at, at hockey, you look at uh, football, you look at basketball, you look at baseball. Who has the most bad boys sprinkled in? That's tough because it's all kind of for different reasons. Um, I feel like football is the least effective bad boy in terms of how little an individual can affect a game. You have dirty players, but I guess individuals don't affect a game as much. The league's trying to protect itself. They have dirty players and they have divas in football. Yeah, that's true. Basketball. I think basketball might have the most. It's bad gotta boys be going on. Yeah. the fact that you can be a villain on your own team. <laughs> <laughs> like Anthony Davis is coming through LA. We're going like, oh, he still plays for the Pelicans. Yeah. I thought they hated him. <laughs> he's getting booed by his home crowd. I know. Yeah, it's probably basketball. Baseball. Does baseball have any? Uh, Randy. Yeah. Uh, what's a big pitcher? Randy Jones. That was a while back. Uh, Randy Johnson? Johnson. Jones. Randy Johnson. Jones. He was with the Padres. Are you making up names now along with your names. nicknames? That's right. Uh, uh, Bryce yeah. Harper? Yeah. $330 million? He's a, He's a tad bit cocky. Baseball doesn't really like cocky. Well, we've got some cockiness see, seeping into hockey a little bit. It's yeah. always at my old position. <laughs> <laughs> I think some people have an issue with. Jordan Bennington's uh, athletic arrogance or confidence. He's a calm, cool guy. Jousting with media, but you need some of that. I and mean, we yeah. need we need more than just a dish of vanilla ice cream every night. It's emotional. It's supposed to be yeah. that way. You're supposed to give your heart. To Who's your the team? bad boy of this broadcast and podcast? It's Razor. Yeah, it yeah. is. I am. God, he's so. I'm bad. both. I'm the bad boy. It's a black hat. And I'm also the angel. Yes, I am. Uh, final debate before we head off. Collect yourself, Heike. Uh Better to be playing teams in a playoff position or better to be playing for a draft position teams right now? Uh, I think I worded that wrong, but no, you I understand think you're right. what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, for the Dallas Stars, who are trying to stay in the top eight in the Western Conference. It's a really good question well, because I, that's the angel. That's why you and that's why you ask these things and have the debate because some of these teams and Tom Holy I think brought it up. Well, he just grabbed a microphone, so he wants to chime he in. He wants to chime in too. But like the Dallas Stars, when they got out of it, they all of a sudden became a much better team. They were relaxed. They were nothing know. makes me barf more, by the way, than the team that is, for all intent and purpose, eliminated that gets this enormous gust of wind in their sails and everybody just oh my god if only it was a 95 game season they would have been a playoff team no they wouldn't and right. it's so awful there's no pressure on you you're going to play your best when there's no pressure on you that but if you're the Dallas Stars me. and there is pressure on you now you're playing it's the, an examination playing man. the Minnesota Wild in the last game of the season it's with an 11 minor leaguers in the lineup and I mean, so what's better for the Stars? I think they're playing right now 11 teams that would miss the playoffs. So you would think on paper that's a good thing. But at the same point in time, you know, you're sitting there playing with all the pressure. The way it is now, the 11 teams that are going to miss the playoffs within a week, there might only be six of those teams that are out of a playoff spot the way it's gone. Tom, go ahead. 
I was just waiting to see if you guys had anything that I needed to correct, and so far I haven't heard anything. <laughs> oh, okay, Daddy. <laughs> Except I think something that does make you puke more is uh, center ice. Oh my god! Logo. So did you notice the red line? I have St. not. Louis? I don't watch it the way you do, but I know your. I know your bit. Like, I just I read the NHL rule book before the season, and then I forget most of it as the season goes along. But I read it. And everything from, you know, size of the pipe, the type of paint they use on it, all this stuff. So the center red line is supposed to be a broken line, not a solid 12-inch wide stripe of red on the ice. Now, the reason for that goes back to when games were on black and white television. Right. So apparently they could tell between uh, or differentiate between the red line and the blue line. But they've never changed it in the book. I think that's why, anyway. Right. They just haven't looked at it. So we go into Florida, and I'm looking down. And I'm like, that's a solid stripe across the ice. That's illegal. Yep. And it bifurcates the logo at Santa Rice, which is the bane of my existence, which is, I think, what Tom Holy's getting after. Because it makes you puke more than... I think it, I think it makes me vomit. Than, than the late season run for the The late uh, season run is a regurgitation, <laughs> where it, whereas the red line is more... A dry heave following just a full purging of my lower and upper uh, intestines and stomach uh, cavity. The definition of bifurcate. Divide into two branches or forks. There you go. It's not like he doesn't look this stuff up beforehand. Oh, yeah. I knew we were going to talk about this. So it it bugs me. So in in St. Louis, again, they don't have it broken up. What do we have this year? Do we have the state breaking ours up or, or stars? I believe it's the state of Texas. That's what it's been recently. So you just have it broke. It doesn't have yeah. to just be a no. little line. Now, my feeling, as it has always been, is we don't need it going right through the circle at center ice where the logos are. We can stop there, like they do in college hockey, like they do on it, the international ice hockey uh, surface. I don't understand why we don't change this. I asked Commissioner Bettman when he was in town, if this has ever come up and he blew me off, like you wouldn't believe. And, uh, I, I'm going to continue to be a soldier for getting this changed. I don't think it will in my lifetime, but I'm going to try. It the, bugs me. The Daryl Ray rule. You know what I want to no, do? I'll, be talking I'll tell you what I want to do. Next year, we're not using the state of Texas. We're using Daryl's face. Yes, we should. <laughs> exactly. You know what I want to do? I want to, I want to take a strip of bright red duct tape and walk into the NHL offices and they have that great big shield, the NHL shield in there. And I want to take that duct tape and just run it right down the middle of their shield. Would you bifurcate it? And then, yeah, that would be bifurcating. (laughs) And, uh, and then just turn, fold my arms and stare at them and wait for them to come at me, come at me. Cause that's what happens in every one of your arenas in the league. I think it looks pretty. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I think with that's you. A show <laughs> I'm with you. I think you're right. Then the other thing that's interesting is what's the purpose of the center red line anymore? For those of you that can't see this, Daryl is shooting daggers at Mike <laughs> after he said it. I think it's a pretty comment, and we might have an altercation here. Do you ever watch TV in Canada when they do the, the Tom Holy voice in the background? He picks up a gun and points it at him. <laughs> Have you never seen that? Nope. In, they do. They have any. There you go. 
you know, the mystery show. What's Murdoch Mysteries? They'll have that voice in the background sometimes, you know. I think you need to apologize to Razor. He's not going to talk until you apologize about the pretty comment. Ah, Daryl, you know I was being sarcastic. Anyway, I want the red line changed. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week on Rinky Dinky.